0: 360 podcast, a sports ethos production where we look at the Seahawks from every angle every week, and where we predicted that Geno Smith was going to be an effective quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks. And so far, through four weeks, that is looking great. By the way, I'm your host, Candace Hagens, and we got a lot to get into after this victory. 48-45 to 45 victory over the Detroit Lions. What a spectacular game it was. It really was one of the most entertaining games of the week. And I don't even really think it was close. It was a high scoring affair as two defenses who might as well have sat down on the field just the whole time for all the fix that they had on this game. But it was a high-scoring affair. Gino really did carry this team. The pressure was on him time and time again to score because the defense could not hold anybody back. And we'll talk more about that. We'll talk more about the takeaways. But I just want to spend the first half of this podcast, I want to spend it giving the offense their flowers because they deserve it. And it's exciting to see. I know some people are disappointed. They wanted to tank. They don't want to see any wins outside of the Russell Wilson uh, win against the Broncos. But I've said it before, and I'll say it again: this team is better off competing. They're not going to win a lot of games anyway. You don't have to worry about this team winning ten games. It's not going to happen. It's not. That's not in jeopardy. I don't even really think they'll be able to push into the playoffs. Especially in the second half of the schedule. But. You want this team competitive. Especially against. You know it's peers. You want it winning. You want this team winning. The games against the teams. That it can beat. Why? Because sure. Draft capital capital is important. I'm not going to downplay that. Especially in a year like this. I'm not going to downplay that. But. It's just as important to remember that there are young players on this team right now, proven commodities right now, and you want those guys to prove they are capable of contributing to winning. They're not going to put the team on their backs and lead the team to 10 wins, but you want their plays, their impacts to be felt. That's That's what you want. You want the players who will be here for the next four years on a rookie deal you want those guys creating an impact now and if you only win one more game that means throw the whole draft class from the past season away it really does that's what that means because then you have questions everywhere no player was able to be a blue chip player and contribute to some level of competition and winning culture no rookie and that's not good so, be happy that the Seahawks won this game. Enjoy the victory. there won't be many there won't be there won't be many takeaways that there were many game many podcasts I want to come on here and be this positive because there's gonna be so many positive things to take away from it. so enjoy it live in it relish in it because honestly, there'll be few and far between so we do have a lot to get into, as I said. I am want to give the offense their flowers. But I also want to spend some time talking a little bit about the defense. And I'm going to give you guys five steps that I think it's going to take in order to fix this defense. So, let's get into it and talk some Hawks. So first, let's talk about the man of the hour. The guy on fire, your Seattle Seahawks MVP, Geno Smith. <laughs> Seriously, serious enough no i know gino is not going to be mvp he's not going to be able to play at this level you know for the remainder of the season i don't expect that but but man through the first four weeks if there was a such thing as a four week mvp i think gino smith would be in the running i mean i know this patrick mahomes I know this josh allen but i'm just saying geno has got a strong case So let's let's break this down, right? Because it's not just this game. This is not Geno's first really great game. It's not. Ever since the Seattle Seahawks or P.K.R. really announced that they were going to open up this offense... Everything has shifted for Gino. Gino was playing well before, but he was playing within himself. He was doing everything the offense was asking him to do, but the offense lacked explosion. It lacked the ability to put points on the board. It lacked the ability to be a real threat, even though Gino was playing exceptionally well and within the confines of what the offense was asking him to do. But once they unleashed that playbook, they really opened it up, and Shane Walden really got to show off what he wants to do. His real vision for this offense. That's when it opened up for Geno. And I'll admit, I'll give the caveat that it just so happened that that happened against the Falcons and the Lions, which are the two of the you know lesser defenses in the NFL by far. So I'm giving that context. But when you look at the scheme, when you looked at the execution. All of that has been flawless. Gino, Gino can't choose what defense he plays against, right? He can only go out there and execute. And so let's talk about it. Let's talk about why Gino would be, if there was a four week MVP, why he would be in the conversation. So, first, let's look at it. A lot of people don't like analytics. You you want the real stats. So, let's just talk about the real, like, let's not get into the advanced statistics. Geno right now has 1,037 passing yards. That's more yards than Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Matt Stafford, Kyler Murray, and Kirk Cousins. These are prolific names, especially, I mean, Kirk Cousins. Maybe maybe not so much, but Aaron Rodgers for sure, Matt Stafford for sure, Kyler Murray playing better and having more yards than all those guys. Geno, makes, he ranks number one a completion percentage right now. He ranks fourth in yards per attempt, which was a criticism of Geno the first two weeks that he didn't throw the ball down the field well. Geno has entirely flipped that narrative on its head. He is sixth in touchdown to interception ratio, fifth in quarterback rating, third in passer rating at 108, and fifth an overall number of touchdown passes because that was also a criticism of Geno that he couldn't get it done in the second half. And I understand. I always felt like that was more situational than anything else. I think against the Broncos, it really was just lack of adjustment. But moving forward from there, I really don't think it had anything to do with anything other than situations. Because even against the 49ers, they got to the red zone. It just fluky plays and stupid play calling and mistakes in executions and penalties that really held them back for being able to get points on the board. It wasn't Geno's you know, was inability to put them in that position. And that's been proven now that he's been able to you know, really catch up with where the rest of the league is. Not just the rest of the league, but where some of the best quarterbacks are. That's where he is right now in terms of play, execution, and statistics. Right now, PFF ranks him as the number one quarterback in the league and people laughed when that was the case in the preseason oh Gino is the number one quarterback in the league okay where well, I was like we'll just see what happens when he plays against some real NFL teams well he's playing against some NFL teams folks and he's still the number one rated quarterback in PFF so that's a convincing case it really is you know is playing like a top five quarterback right now and that's not to say that I think he'll sustain this play you know is out also passing even my expectations you guys know if you listen to this podcast I was pretty high on Gino especially compared to Drew, to Drew Locke I thought he would be exceptionally better for what this offense and this team wants to do based on where they are I thought that Gino Smith was absolutely going to be the right decision and I thought he'd be able to surprise a lot of people. I expected him to surprise a lot of people. But he, like I said, he surprised even me. And I am. Is this an overreaction? Absolutely. I mean, why not? Like I said, sales are not going to have a lot of wins this year. I don't expect for them to. But why not enjoy it while it lasts, right? I mean, right now. Technically, the Seattle Seahawks are in the middle of it when it comes to the, you know, seeing and playoffs. They are two and two officially. And so is every other team in the 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 NFC West. And I think that'll change. Right. But it's awesome to be tied with first (laughs) and with every other team in the division right now. So. Anyway, I'm just pretty excited. I'm pretty excited about some of the positive things that I've seen from from Gino. I'm excited for him. He's got an incredible story. I just think the guy didn't get an opportunity. This league is about opportunities. And sometimes you don't always get a second chance. And it's taken Gino this long to really get a second chance. And it's incredible that he's been able to make the most out of this true second chance. You know, people said, well, we know who Geno is. I never thought that we did. The man only got to start two years with the Jets before being punched in a jaw, breaking his jaw, and essentially being shunned from the league. He then was a backup quarterback behind Eli Manning, Phillip Rivers, and Russell Wilson. Who was he overtaking? No one. Even if he is a good, you know, lower end starter in this league, there was no way. Given the situations, given the salaries that the guys in front of him were getting paid, that they were ever gonna have, a, that Gino was ever gonna have a chance to overtake those guys. He was there in case of injury, break in case of emergency. Essentially, is what Gino's Smith has been, and he lost a lot of opportunity simply because his name was slandered by the Jets organization. And Gino's proven that that was not rightfully so. And what makes this even more interesting is when you look at the big picture of the decision that the Seattle Seahawks made when they traded Russell Wilson and they said that they could find a quarterback to basically flow within the system that would do and be efficient in what the Seahawks wanted, that they didn't feel like they needed to pay that much money to a guy to run their offense, that their, that their offense, the Shane Waldron offense was quarterback friendly and that even a lower star caliber player such as Jim Smith Would be able to manage that well. It wasn't necessarily expected he would thrive in it, but that he would be able to manage it well. This is of course with the expectation that the defense would have been better, and that the team will ultimately be able to be competitive and successful at least for a stopgap year, at least, right? That was a thought. That's been proven to be absolutely the right decision because, to be honest, Geno fits this system so much better than Russell Wilson ever did because this system is meant to thrive off of the short, the intermediate game, the quick game. And sure, you have to have some deep plays downfield, which Geno has always been capable of doing. So it fits his offense fits him like a glove. It really does. And I think looking at long term, because I still think that the Seahawks need a quarterback of the future. I'm not one to say Gino's playing well, let's just stick with him and, and go defense. I can talk about that in another podcast, but where I stand right now, they're not gonna be any quarterbacks on the roster at the end of this season. That so quarterback is the number one need, period. When you don't have a person at a position that makes it the most urgent need. And quarterback will be one when the draft rolls around. So given that that's the case, I think it'll be important to remember that the quarterback style is just as important. Like the, the, their ability to fit in with this offense matters significantly over, you know, just the flashiest quarterback or the highest ceiling quarterback. Because even if you don't get the highest ceiling quarterback, but you get a quarterback like Geno who fits this system like a glove, they will thrive in this offense. And so that's a side note. Let's talk about another time. But anyway, I love their decision. And I didn't love it at the time. I'll admit I was pissed. When a Russell Wilson trade happened. But I understand what they were trying to do better. And Russ never really did truly fit this system. He was going to have to learn. How to evolve his game. And I. As well as many others were optimistic. That he would be able to do that. But when you look over in. You know Broncos country. That's not necessarily the case. So a lot of people have been comparing. Geno versus Russ. For the first four weeks. And Geno has been outperforming Russ through the first four weeks now I think that will change those stats will change Russ will probably at some point overtake Geno because Russ is the better player so I don't want people to mistake that I think that Geno is better than Russ because he ain't but it's worthy of mentioning that the same type of concepts that they were I think initially going to try to do they aren't happening over there in Broncos country because Geno likes to run the offense a certain way And now people are critiquing the Broncos' offense, talking about it's predictable, it's vanilla, it's repetitive. Well, I wonder where we have we heard that from? It sounds a lot like what everybody was saying about the Pete Carroll offense, but now that Russ is gone, Pete Carroll's offense looks pretty innovative. Shane Waldron looks like he's got control of his offense, and it looks a lot like... The things that people were complaining about, the predictability, the vanilla, that seems to be the plays that Russell prefers. That just seems to be the offense he likes to run without the pre-snap motion and this and that. That seems to be that that it didn't exist because Russell didn't like those type of plays as much as he liked those predictable plays, quote unquote. So it's very interesting. I'm sure you may have seen, if you've been on social media, the comparison between Gino, Gino and Russ, the four games. I, like I said, this is just because it's only interesting because Gino has far out surpassed expectations and Russ has underperformed. I'll admit that, and I'll admit again, Gino's not better than Russ, but it really makes me as a Seattle fan and I think the franchise sort of vindicated, even if it is only for the first four weeks and everything else changes after this, I think it makes them feel vindicated to some degree that at some point Geno was outperforming Russ. So Geno is thrown for 77% of his passes, which, by the way, is the highest completion rate over four weeks that any quarterback has had in NFL history. So Geno is literally being one of the most accurate quarterbacks in history. This is compared to Russell 61%. Gino, as I mentioned, has thrown for 1, 1,037 yards. Russ has only thrown for 980. Gino's thrown for six touchdowns compared to, to Russ's four touchdowns. And while Gino does have two interceptions, to Russ's one, overall, when you compare these two, Gino is outperforming Russ on almost every metric. And at this rate, while he doesn't really have a chance to win MVP, I was kidding about that, he does have a chance to win comeback player of the year. I think if he can even play decent, I mean, just with his story, with everything that he's gone through, he's such an easy guy to root for, to pull for. And I think that if even he just played decently, that he could win comeback player of the year. And that would be exciting to see, for Gino. It really would. But as important as, and as wonderfully masterful as Gino has been in terms of commanding this offense and making reads and and just really really leading this offense. He's had some help from some playmakers who who have done quite a bit to make this offense look explosive as well. So we cannot talk about the offense without talking about Rashad Penny who ran for 151 yards on 17 carries. He averaged 8.9 yards a carry. And he got two touchdowns. And it just seemed like whenever the offense needed it most that's when he came. So it wasn't just that he was getting these yards and these plays. That's always exciting to see. Right? But it was when you needed the third down that he got a touchdown. It's when even on the final play when you when Seattle wants to make sure the ball stays out of the Lions' hands because the defense has been playing so poorly, and Rashad Penny is able to get a hard run on a three and a three third and third and five, and basically seal the game. I mean, basically, whenever you needed Rashad Penny, he came through in a big way, and even more than what you needed. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about how great he has been, it in, in, through for the through the first four weeks. He right now is the number two player in the league in terms of yards after contact he averages 4.57 yards after contact the only person in front of him is debo Samuel Samuel who averages six yards after contact it's excellent elite company to be in right now through from now, up to this point from 2020 20 well, i'm sorry from 2021. Rashad Penny has averaged or has had five rushing touchdowns of more than 30 yards. Five rushing touchdowns that were more than 30 yards. That's incredible. It's so incredible that no other NFL player has had even more than two rushing touchdowns of 30 plus yards in that same time period. In fact, the only player who's come close. At, at all in recent history, is Derrick Henry, who has had eight. But it took him over 900 snaps, or carries, to get those eight. Rashad Penny has five, and just 244 carries. That's what makes Rashad Penny so incredible. Right now, he is leading the NFL in rushing, yard, in rushing yards over the expected per attempt, which means he's exceeding expectations. I mean, we see it. We see it. He's exceeding what this average play, you know, what the average run should get. He's blowing it out of the water. He's just making plays. And it's not because he's got such, elite, such an elite offensive line. He doesn't. The interior of the offensive line, we've discussed, is a problem. And he's still been able to be explosive. Now, the O-line was significantly better in this game. Got to give them credit, too. Shout out to the O-line. They were better in this game. But they've been a problem. And Rashad Penny has still managed to lead the league in yards over expected per, uh, attempt. That's elite. That that puts him in the company of some, one of the best running backs in the league. He is proving he can he can be one of the best backs in the league. Top three. Now he's got to continue to do it and he's got to stay healthy. But he he's showing. What he showed in those last six games, he's, we're seeing it again. We're seeing it again. The other playmakers who have been critical to this explosive offense, uh, particularly last game, we'll focus on the last game, against the Lions, DK Metcalf had a breakout game. Yeah, he struggled to really get a lot of, he'd gotten target, so it wasn't for a lack of trying to get the ball to him, but he really hadn't been able to, get the yards out the catch or really get the deep play. You know, it started off, it was better against the Falcons. But DK broke out for seven receptions for 149 yards. That's the second highest average since his Philadelphia playoff game way back in 2020. So that's how long it's been to see he had a breakout game like this. He averaged 21.3 yards per catch. Incredible. And he also had, and it wasn't just him, though. Gino was still able to make plays and take advantage of Tyler Lockett. Tyler Lockett ended with six receptions for 91 yards, averaging 15.2 yards a catch. Incredible. They were able to win time of possession with 33 minutes. They were able to dominate in their regard. There was just so much to like about this offensive line. Love the use of the tight ends. Love their involvement. They've really been showing up, showing strong, and it's just been exciting. It's been exciting. It's been exciting two weeks to watch, even though the Falcons game was a loss, and it was a tough loss. It really was. But the fact that they were able to bounce back and build on what they started, because that was the question. Could the offense build on what they started? They've got some momentum now, and even though they'll face a tough opponent defensively against the Saints, They've got the momentum, they've got the confidence, and they've got the understanding scheme-wise in terms of a better understanding of what works, what doesn't work. They're finding their identity. They're finding their playmakers. They're finding out what works. And that helps going into a game with a tough matchup against the Saints. We'll talk about that in another podcast, but it leaves me optimistic, at the very least, for the Seahawks' ability to compete because it looks like this team is going to have to build around its offense. And actually... I like that Pete Carroll's embracing that. I like that he's sort of leaning into it. He really is. I think he I think he has that understanding that for right now, the offense is a strength of this team. And I think he's comfortable with it. I don't think it's uncomfortable. Sometimes it was uncomfortable for, you know, when the whole let Russ clip thing was happening. He seemed to be a little uncomfortable with it, but he was going with it. This he seems to be embracing. And I don't know if it's because it's within the scheme of the offense. I don't know if it's because it's (laughs) Geno. But for whatever reason, he seems to be comfortable and and, and really give a level of trust in Geno and his ability to play make. To some extent, I mean, not more than Russ, but about the same as Russ. And so that's, that's really been good to see him embrace that. And I hope to see it continue. Because Shane Waldron seems to be getting more and more control over this offense. You're seeing his wrinkles with the pitch plays, with the outside zone runs, with the fly sweeps. Uh you, you really see uh you really see the the plays and the you see the vision of Shane Waldron. More and more the intric- the intricacies involved each week. And like I said, that's something excellent to build on. So we've had I've had fun, I know talking about this offense and how explosive it is and how great it was. But we at some point have to talk about this defense. So let let's talk about it. I want to take the positive approach, right? Because this is a win and despite the fact that it was it was obvious, right? I don't have to tell you guys that the defense looked like the worst in the league. It did. You're not blind. (laughs) There's not much analysis. I don't need to give you stats I don't even give you numbers for you to figure that out. You're an intelligent football fan, and even if you weren't, you're not blind. So, I'm gonna focus on what I liked. Obviously, the play- the playmaking from the rookies. It's been talked about already. I'm not gonna overemphasize it. But the pick from Tariq, the pick six from Tariq Woolen was one of the most incredible plays I've seen by a Seahawks defensive back, probably since Richard Sherman was on the field. Flat out. Quandre Diggs, even. I mean, when he's getting those picks, a lot of times they're gifts. Tariq Willem made that pick happen. It's not easy to be that deep in coverage and then turn around and make that pick. But because of his speed and athleticism, he's able to pull off what very few corners have been able to do in, in this league, and especially in this scheme. So that was extraordinarily impressive. And then a forced fumble from Kobe Bryant, who has been struggling all year in that nickel position. I still feel like he's out of position. But he was able to make a play, make an impact on the game, and get the ball back to the offense. So that was huge. So those are things obviously you love to see. I also felt like the, especially in the first half, the defensive line did a much better job in the run game. I saw schematically some of the changes and the differences. It was subtle, right? But I, the linebackers were a little bit more clean. I said that in the offense in the Falcons game as well. I feel like they built on that. In fact. The stats back me up. Outside of that one explosive run for 21 yards by Reynolds, they held in the first half Jamal Williams to 39 yards on 11 carries. He's averaging 3.5 yards a carry. I mean, that's a huge improvement. They had a three and out, which they had not really done any of those. They had a forced fumble. And they had let it. They did, you know, allow them to get a field goal in that first half. It really was a fairly strong first half of defense. And then the absolute wheels fell off. Now I still feel like a part of that was because they started Daryl Johnson. We've been, I've been saying for two weeks now that most likely to get benched will be Daryl Taylor. And they finally benched him. They started Daryl Johnson instead, and he got hurt. And he looks like he'll be hurt for a while. Be careful reported that he's sort of got a stretch fracture. So he'll come back this season, but it won't be anytime soon. Uh, I'm curious to see how they handle that situation because Daryl Taylor has he's really been outplayed. He really he's just been outplayed. Period. But it's not like they have a ton of options in terms of rotation in minutes at this point. They're they're really down a lot of guys. They really need Alton Robinson to come back quickly. And so Daryl Taylor's probably going to have to get more snaps unfortunately but that's when I think things started to go downhill when you did see Daryl Taylor start getting more of those snaps my face still had some but I, I, I just think things kind of went downhill from that point so I want to wrap up this episode by just talking about the five steps I think it's going to take to fix the defense and I'm not going to get Technical in terms of scheme, because yes, obviously, schematically, I think there are things they need to clean up, things they need to figure out, things they need to customize better to the personnel. And and I don't think that these five steps will dramatically change the outlook of the defense, but I think it could get them to looking respectable. You know, they won't be a good defense if they fix these things, but they could be respectable, right? They could get off the field sometimes. So Here's my five steps. Step number one play Artie Burns instead of Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson absolutely got picked on in this game because quarterbacks realize they don't want to throw to Tariq Rulin. His speed, his athleticism is too much. They're not picking on Tariq Woolen. It's not the rookie. The liability right now has been Michael Jackson. He's gotten beaten coverage way too often. Way too often. And Does coach recognize that they play Sidney Jones? And Sidney Jones didn't exactly look great either. Now, Sidney Jones has come out cold off the bench. So I do feel like if he got more in a rhythm, he might play better. But I also just want to see what Artie Burns has. I'd like to see Michael Jackson out completely for now. And at that other spot, I'd like to see a competition between Sidney Jones and Artie Burns for who's going to take on that starting role. Let the competition win out and have that be it. I think Michael Jackson had his chance, but I just think he's limited. I think he's an excellent depth piece, but he's not a starter. He's not a starter in this league. If you play him as a starter in this league, he will get taken advantage of. But he's excellent depth for you. He can start in a pinch and he can be a guy to to help you win, you know, for a couple of games. But the NFL catches up to him because he has his limitations physically, especially and you know sometimes awareness it's just not that great so let's move on to some vet talent you know because it's not like michael jackson is super young and he's 25 cindy jones is 26 all right so let's get let's get burns back up in a competition going between burns and jones so that's step one i think that'll help a lot step two Get Ryan Neal at Strong Safety. I don't want to see Josh Jones on the field anymore. I've had enough of him. I was trying to be patient. I hadn't even really called him out like that on this podcast. But it's been obvious he struggled. But he's had some mistakes that are basically unforgivable. That you get benched and you don't come back. You don't see the field again type of plays. It's just been awful. He has a missed tackle rate of 28%. That's awful. You cannot start somebody like that. And so at least Ryan Neal knows how to tackle. And Ryan Neal has played well in spots. I don't really understand why we why they went with it. I just think that he had a good training camp, so they wanted to give the guy a shot. But go with Ryan Neal. The guy can play well. And he didn't come in and he didn't make a huge difference. But I like Sidney Jones. I want to give him credit that he's coming in cold off the bench. He had not got a lot of reps in practice. He wasn't healthy for a long time. When he did come back, he didn't have a job anymore. I think with a little bit more rhythm, with uh, you know, better understanding and and, and reps and practice, I think he'll be fine. I really do. Uh, he'll be better than Josh Jones. <laughs> that's, that's an immediate upgrade at that position. Right, those two things by themselves. Step three. Less of Cody Barton. Now, the defense has already figured this out because Cody Barton only played about sixty-two percent of the snaps last week. He only played sixty-two percent of the snaps. And he was playing a hundred percent of the snaps, just like Jordan Brooks was. And so how do you do that? Right? Candace that sounds crazy. Like there's nobody to replace Cody Barton. I know there's nobody to replace Cody Barton. I don't not think that Nick Ballor nor Tanner Muse are the options to upgrade the position of Cody Barton. They're not. And I don't believe that they are. But what they can do. Is do what they would have been doing with Jamal Adams. And that's more three safety looks. Because originally from everything that was coming out of training camp. From all the media outlets. They were playing a ton of three safety looks with Jamal Adams in the box. And so there will only be one linebacker on the field. Because Jamal Adams will sort of play that pseudo linebacker role. So they were only planning on having Jordan Brooks on the field as the linebacker. And Jamal Adams would be in the box with him. Then you'd have a Josh Jones or a Ryan Neal along with Kondre Diggs in the backfield. That was a plan. All right? Go to that more. And they did. I I don't have access to all 22 at this point. But based on the snap counts, it looks like there were several snaps, at least 15 snaps where three safeties were on the field. So I think they're understanding that that's going to have to take place. Because it will. Cody Barden is just not... I mean, he's a player in this league, maybe. But he sure is heck not a starter. He's a death piece at best. But sometimes he doesn't even look like he belongs on the field. In the, especially when it comes to the run game. He's just as bad as Daryl Taylor. His His awareness is just bottom it's low very low awareness i don't understand sometimes where, where where his head is at or what he's seeing on the field it just it doesn't make any sense to me sometimes some of the mistakes that he makes so less of cody bard that will help because i think why jordan brooks has not looked good i still think jordan brooks is a victim of the system And a victim of those around him. Linebacker play is dependent upon the defensive line play. Dependent upon the cornerback play. Like, sometimes linebackers can be put in a bad position. Often. Even the talented ones. And Jordan Brooks is still getting his tackles. Just like Bobby Wagner would. I mean, how many people were complaining about Bobby when his defense was looking league worst? And how people were saying Bobby wasn't looking... Sometimes he looked like he was part of the problem. Bobby did. And Bobby's still playing an elite level right now with the Rams. So, I think Jordan Brooks is is the same thing. I really do. It's going to look bad. I am not be able to do much to defend him. But I I have an inkling that if he was surrounded by just a little bit better talent, if he wasn't quite making, making up so much for the mistakes of Cody Barton, if he was able to play within himself and not try to do too much, I think he'd be playing a little bit better. I really do. So... That would, that would help just by default with that too. That's step three. Step four. We already talked about this. More Mafei. More Mafei. I do not think that Daryl Taylor should get the start. I know Mafei is a rookie. But it's not like this team isn't starting rookies. Okay? Start Mafei. Start Boyan Mafei. Daryl Johnson is out. They tried that approach. Didn't work. Daryl Taylor got more snaps than they probably wanted him to get. As a result. Not good results. He's not improving. He's not. He should be pass rush situation only. And they did decrease Daryl Taylor's snaps. That much is true. Daryl Taylor only had 34 snaps this past week. Mafei had 32. So a lot more even. But at this point, you need more Fe. It needs to be, you know, Fe pretty much getting... I mean, he can't get all the snaps, right? He's got to rest at some point. You don't want that much on him, especially as a rookie. But, Mafe needs to be the one with more snaps here. And boy do I wish Alton Robinson was back because I would just say Mafe, Robinson, and then put Daryl Taylor in on pass rushing situations only because sometimes his effort is just not there. And you hate to see that. You don't want a guy on the field who's not putting forth 100% effort and that's where Darren Taylor is right now in his game. The fundamentals are just gone with him sometimes. So I'd rather see Mafe and Alton, but hey. Anyway. So more Mafe. That'll help. Right? And then number five. Number five. I want to see more man, like press looks, more man to man coverage. I still see a lot of cover three. At least I did, especially against the Lions where Tariq Willem is able to compensate it because he's so fast. But even that pick six he got there on cover three, there's still this huge wide open gap. And I understand they're doing that to probably try to simplify the defense. But go ahead and get your more experienced personnel in there, like your Ryan Neal, like your Artie Burns, right? Get those guys in there so that you can play a little bit more press. You can play a little bit more man. And everybody on the field sort of understands their role and what they're and what they're doing a little bit better where you can play man. Well, you don't have to simplify the defense so much that you almost, I and mean, sometimes it looks like prevent defense out there. Go back to the scheme concepts that they were talking about. You know, be more aggressive in coverage. Be more sticky. That's going to be needed if they're going to have any chance of, you know, being competitive against teams like the Rams, the Chiefs. And I know you play plate. Chad Mahomes will eat that alive. They can't, raw receivers can't have all this cushion. They're going to have to be more aggressive in coverage. And they need to start that. And they're not going to be able to do it if Michael Jackson's on the field. I understand that. They're not going to be able to do that if Cody Barton's on the field. I understand that. So change that and then adjust the scheme accordingly. I don't know if they're going to do that. I don't have any indication they're going to do that. But I strongly wish that they would do that because what they're doing right now isn't working. They had much more sticky coverage against week one and against the Broncos. Do that. It was effective. It really was. Russ had to work for the yards he got. He really did. So I need to see something along those lines in terms of coverage and, and sticking on their man's and, and just being, being present, not, not having this 10-yard cushion. Between the between the you know the cornerbacks and the wide receivers, and expecting Tariq Woolen to be Superman every time and swoop down and make that quick tackle when he's already going, to that person's already going to get a first down, makes it the easy. I mean, no one of this defense can't get off the field. We're basically giving them the first downs. Nobody's close, uh, and, and when somebody is close, it's because Tariq Woolen, like I said, swooping in, making the tackle because he's so fast. But if he wasn't so fast, they'd probably be able to get like 10 yards after the catch. So we've got to change that. That's That's got to shift. I feel optimistic if they made those five changes just by itself, this defense would look respectable. Because I, I'm i still out. this jury's still out on the scheme. Like they're doing something different. I don't know if this works, if it's more personnel. I do feel like personnel is a huge factor. I'll be honest personnel is a huge factor in terms of the way this defense looks but i also feel like schematically there is some things that are obvious to being a first down you know a first time defensive coordinator so those are my tips they could do those things they can look better and we'll see how many of these things they end up doing to really make the defense you know get moved towards respectable but that's it guys that's all i have time for today be sure to follow me on Twitter at CandaceH901. That's CandaceH901. Be sure to follow the show, Ethos Seahawks, at Ethos Seahawks. Be sure to give us a like, uh, listen, comment if you're on YouTube. We'd love to hear your feedback. And as always, that's it. I'm out. Go Hawks.